Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the Muslims in Your Backyard podcast. I'm your host, Purim Shamim. Thank you guys for joining me for another episode of the podcast. As always, I appreciate the support and for you taking some time out of your day to listen to the podcast. I hope you guys have been well since the last podcast episode, given everything that's been happening in the world, specifically with Russia and Ukraine and some of the impacts that's had on, of course, uh, the world economy and just sort of day-to-day life, especially especially gas prices, at least here in Canada, have become very expensive. And it's basically just become a thing that just about everyone complains about. But really, there's nothing you can do because if gas prices rise, I mean, what are you going to do? Like, there's really nothing you can do. You kind of just accept that. And I think you just kind of have to deal with it however you can. But, you know, other than that, I don't think it's been too bad, at least for me. And I hope, of course, then it's not been that bad for you either. I mean, but aside from that, um, you know, today's episode, I wanted to focus on a topic that, uh, you know, I've wanted to talk about for quite some time or or one that I guess is not one that I I think I'll just talk about once, but probably we'll talk about more than once. But I thought that today I would sort of do a introductory or a sort of a a surface part, uh, surface telling, I should say, of the history of Islam Uh, in China. And obviously, I won't be able to hit on every single point, like any sort of thing uh, on history, it's very complex. And so I'm just going to focus on certain things that I think are most important to at least know, or at least things that were interesting to me. And as always, I say, you know, I hope that you guys kind of go do your own research as well, and kind of try to learn on your own uh, as well. And, you know, the main focus that I want to do is sort of the forgotten history parts, kind of similar to what I did uh, on in last season, the episode on the Mali Empire and Islam in West Africa. You know, focusing on Islam in China, I think is very interesting because it's definitely more complicated than I think some people would think it is. And, and I think Chinese Muslims or Muslims who are in China, and I'll explain the difference later, it's something that is definitely... A, uh, a important part of history, especially in Muslim history, and one that I think sometimes people often forget about quite too easily. And lastly, I, I think it's important to remember that the historical China that I, I will be talking about is not the China that exists today. The China that exists today is more of a combination of the different histories of China, Uh, and is in many ways the only sort of China that's existed in quite some time, because really Chinese history is actually quite complicated. And even though I do know some things of Chinese history, I'm in no way an expert, so I'm not going to get too much into the Chinese history part of things. But for the most part, I think it's important to know that when I'm talking about the historical China, it isn't the China that exists today. Historical China was not communist. Historical China did not have all this territory that was conquered. Historical China was very different. It was also very divided. There was many empires uh, and many kingdoms that were a part of historical China that, of course, are not what is the China that we know today. So to begin, I wanted to start with some basic facts to really get an understanding of not only, you know, what Chinese Muslims are, but what their context is within the Chinese government, or the Chinese country, I should say, and the Chinese community. So the current population of Chinese Muslims, or at least people in China who uh, are ethnically Chinese that uh, identify as Muslim, 
uh, and again, I'll explain this in a second, is estimated to be around 2% of the total population and possibly around 30 million people. Although I will say that I'm not so sure about how accurate this number is uh, because of the fact that uh, I actually found a variety of different numbers. Uh, this is just the one that I saw more than once, so I, I think it might be the most accurate, but of course, I don't know for sure. And so to just compare that, uh, the population of Chinese Muslims is around 30 million, but the current population of China is 1.4 billion people. So really, you know, the, the population of China is considerably larger than the actual population of Chinese Muslims. Uh, uh, but of course, right, that, that is why, of course, they, they are such a smaller minority. You know, 30 million is, is a, a lot of people, uh, but in China, that's very, very small because compared to 1.4 billion, 30 million is, is next to nothing. In many ways as well, you know, in, in Chinese Muslims are a, a very interesting group within China as well because they don't necessarily make up one group of people, but actually they make up a, a very different ethnic and cultural backgrounds with their main connection being together that they are all Muslim. So many of them come from different backgrounds or, you know, different sort of uh, settings uh, in different areas within China as well. I should emphasize that. Not all of them come from like the same area. Many of them come from different areas, uh, but their main connection to each other is that they are Muslim. So it's almost better to say, in a sense, uh, Muslims that are in China, because there are Chinese ethnic groups that are Muslim, uh, or groups that identify ethnically as Chinese and are Muslim, but there's also groups within China that are ethnically not Chinese, but they are Muslim. And so you might consider them as Chinese Muslims because that term might refer to China the country rather than China the people because there are people who are ethnically Chinese and then there's also people within China who are not ethnically Chinese. And so there is actually a very big difference between that. And a good example is that the largest ethnic group within China that are ethnically Chinese are the Hui people. I, I believe I pronounced that right. Uh, it's I think it's Hui. I, I could be wrong. Uh, it's spelt as H-U-I. If any of you know how to actually pronounce Chinese words, I, I apologize. I don't really know how to pronounce them. Uh, obviously, I, I don't speak Mandarin or Cantonese, so I don't know uh, actually uh, you know how to pronounce them. Uh, but the Hui people are the ones who make up the largest Muslim population within China, who also are ethnically Chinese. Although among the Hui, there are, there's a lot of diversity. There, there's a lot of diversity because of the fact that they come from a variety of different areas within China. And so the Hui don't really have maybe like this one home that they just belong to, but they actually belong to different areas within China. So their identity is almost, you know, multi-faced in that sense. They can be sort of geographically have an identity, but they also have an ethnic identity and a religious one as well. While a good example of Muslims who are in China is one that's probably a more, more well-known one is, of course, the Uyghurs, uh, who are Muslims that are in China, uh, but they actually have a Turkic origin, and their ancestry uh, is more to the sort of the Turkic areas, which is like Central Asia, which is hence their push for the independent East Turkestan, which is a country that the Uyghurs want to form that, of course, the Chinese government doesn't want them to create. 
Um, they are also believed to be the second largest ethnic group of Muslims within China, the first, of course, being uh, the Hui. Uh, and the, the Uyghurs are interesting in the sense that, of course, they link back to Central Asia. So they're not actually Chinese, right? Like, they're, I know they're part of what we consider the country of China, but again, this is where I go back to the point of how there are people who are non-Chinese people that are in China, right? They're, they're not Chinese, but, you know, within the country of China, they're considered Chinese for a nationality, but not because of their ethnicity. Other Muslim groups that are within China that are also uh, ethnically, uh, you know, non-Chinese, but are also Muslim are the Kazakh, the Uzbeks, the Salar. Uh, the Salar, from what, if I'm remembering it correctly, are uh, northern Chinese, and so they're more related to like the Mongolians and the Tajik. Um, although there are also many others that I didn't mention, I just sort of mentioned the more well-known and some of the, the bigger ones that, that are within uh, the area. That's why, for you know, the most part, the only actually, you know, I guess, big ethnically Chinese group within China are the Wei that are, that are Muslim, right? The rest of them primarily are actually Central Asian Muslims. Now, that's not to say that there aren't uh, you know, a big contribution of what Chinese Muslims have done within China. It's actually kind of the contrary. Um, something that I think many people, as I'll speak in the next session, uh, next section, I should say, uh, will be somewhat, you know, surprised by is the fact that Chinese Muslims have actually had quite an impact on the historical China. And it's something that I think is interesting. But again, at the same time, uh, you know, Central Asian, uh, I guess, communities within China uh, were ethnically different and also were independent from uh, some of these historical Chinese groups that we kind of know. Some of these historical Chinese empires didn't actually have control over these areas. That's just sort of more of a, a modern thing, which is also why some of them are so different than, uh, you know, some of the, uh, I guess, other Chinese communities. Because relatively speaking, historically at least, they were quite independent from China. They didn't have... Uh, as many connections with China as as they do now. And, and this is where I wanted to sort of move into the next topic. And that's really to understand the question of how did Islam uh, first reach China? You know, a lot of different areas in the world have sort of their own story as to how Islam reaches them. And many of them, it's because of actual trade, which is very similar to what happens in China. Uh, and again, like South Asia and Southeast Asia, Islam likely reached China first through the Silk Road and trade with the Middle East. Because if you think about it, the Silk Road goes right through China and Central Asia. So again, this is why, you know, there's a big population of Central Asian Muslims, because many of them obviously were in the midst of the Silk Road, but then also because that Silk Road ends in China. So many of those Muslims or those Middle East people um, I guess I want to say Middle East people because it was more than just the Arabs. It was also like the Persians uh, who traded with China that eventually sort of spread Islam to China as well. Many artifacts and archaeological discoveries actually indicate that many of the original Muslim communities within China were descendant from the Persian, the Arab, Central Asian, and Mongolian Muslims. So again, a lot of those people that traded with China that then came and settled in China and then eventually integrated within the broader Chinese community. And these groups were largely merchants, mercenaries, militia, and other officials who settled in 
mostly the southeast parts of China. So think of some of the trading ports, the southeast, right? So some of the trading ports with Southeast Asia or with India might be there, where if you went to, you know, the west, I think that's where some people think is, you know, they, they go, would trade out west to, through Central Asia. But if you think about that, that may not always be the best route, because if you try to trade with India, for example, uh, if you were China, you'd have to go through the mountainous regions of Tibet, Right where it's easier if you just trade through the sea because you can just go around and then just trade with India. So that is a part of why, you know, I think uh, from, what I, from what I actually gathered is that uh, many Muslims uh, sort of settled in those areas because that's really where the trading routes were. And, you know, for the most part, these groups integrated and intermarried within the local Chinese uh, population, Although some population groups, like the Central Asians that I mentioned before, didn't really try to integrate with them as much, also because of the fact that they were not part of China, right? They were part of uh, they were part of sort of their own independent empires or independent uh, kingdoms that were not a part of China. And then, of course, the Mongol invasions of the Middle East and the adoption of Islam by many Mongols also spread Islam to China because. Uh, it, it, again, like it was kind of a, a weird tale if you think about it. The Mongols invaded and took over half the world essentially, and then like a few years later, many of them actually converted to Islam. And so when they did convert to Islam, many of these empires also adopted Islam as the religion because the king would basically say, "Hey, you know, I'm Muslim, so now you're all Muslim too." And so then everyone would become Muslim and. It's almost interesting to think about that, right? I mentioned this before in the podcast. The Mongol invasions were one of, you know, the the worst moments uh, in uh, Muslim history. And yet, somehow, it actually ends up spreading Islam further. You know, it doesn't destroy Islam. It, it actually ended up, uh, in a way, I guess you could say, helping Islam. Because it spread it into areas like China. Because, actually, at the time, the Mongols ruled parts of China. And so, again... They integrated Islam into China because of that. Now, one of the main, I guess, similarities uh, that the, uh, you know, the, I guess, historical Chinese kingdoms or Chinese empires have with the modern China is that they both very much sort of force, uh, you know, outsiders or foreigners to sort of accept Chinese culture. And one of the common policies within uh, you know, the uh, ancient Chinese, or I shouldn't say ancient, more like medieval or, you know, uh, 16th, 17th century Chinese dynasties was that they would make foreigners marry Chinese people, right? So if you were a man or a woman uh, who was settling in China and were not Chinese, they would actually make you marry uh, a, a Chinese person so that you would integrate within the Chinese culture. It's sort of a, you know, a weird thing, I guess, now, because that would be something that I, I don't think many governments would actually enforce on other people. But it was a common practice in China to actually have a law like that because they wanted foreigners to integrate within the Chinese uh, culture. And, and this is also where the Hui, for example, are born from, right? They are likely the descendants of, you know, Persians and Arabs or, you know, Central Asians or Southeast Asians that migrated to China and then married Chinese, uh, ethnically Chinese people. And then they sort of made their own sort of smaller ethnic group being Hui. Uh, the Central Asians, of course, did not do this as much, but it is sort of interesting to, to look at how, you know, Chinese Muslims sort of integrate within the culture, right? And how they still, even though they became Chinese, 
they still do have that connection back to areas like Persia and the Middle East, because that is where some of their ancestors actually came from. Now, I also want to sort of contradict this point, uh, because although, yes, they had a policy that uh, Chinese Muslims, or, or non-Chinese people, I should say, had to marry ethnically Chinese people, I also want to point out that this isn't to say that some of these Chinese dynasties or these Chinese empires didn't like Muslims or they didn't like foreigners. It's actually quite the opposite. Uh, they're not so much against people as you might think. And, and again, I think this idea sort of comes from more of what the current Chinese government is and the way that they treat things that they consider non-Chinese. While ethnic, or, or sorry, historically, uh, the Chinese dynasties were actually kind of accepting of people of different uh, backgrounds. There, I guess their one thing was to say, though, that if you're going to live in China, you know, you sort of have to integrate within our culture. Um, and, and of course, it is quite complicated. Uh, and, you know, Chinese Muslim history or Muslims in China and their history, it featured many moments where there was unity, but there were moments of division as well. I don't want to just give one, you know, simple understanding and say, yeah, you know, it was always, you know, uh, good times in, in China. It wasn't. There was moments when there was bad things, but there was also moments where it was actually quite good. And I think one of the dynasties when reading about them, and, and trust me, there, there's a lot of dynasties in Chinese history. Uh, so please, you know, go read about them because uh, they have a very interesting history with the way that they interacted uh, with Muslims. But one of the more interesting ones and sort of one that uh, caught my attention uh, was the Ming Dynasty, which existed from 1368 to 1644. And the Ming Dynasty uh, was a, a very influential dynasty within Chinese history. Uh, it's one of the, uh, you know, dynasties that's very well I guess, uh, revered within China and much of the world because they did have a very lasting impact on China and much of the world as well. And within this dynasty, I found many important moments of you know, Chinese Muslim history, but also interactions with you know, ethnically Chinese people uh, and Chinese Muslims. And you know, one of the people that sort of came to my mind was a famous explorer by the name of Zhang He, and that's spelled Z-H-E-N-G, and then He, which is H-E. And he is one of the best examples of sort of this mix of Chinese Muslim and uh, Chinese, uh, you know, ethnically Chinese people, uh, because he himself was actually a Chinese Muslim uh, who came from a, a Muslim family, uh, and he was an explorer for the Chinese emperor at that time. And he was a very well-regarded, you know, regarded, well-known explorer, uh, one who even in China today is really well, uh, you know, well, I guess I want to say well-revered or well-liked, right? He, he's a very famous person. Um, he's basically, I guess you could say, the Chinese version of Ibn Battuta, you know, for, for an, uh, an accurate comparison. Although Ibn Battuta visited many parts of Africa, Zhang He instead visited many parts of South Asia, Southeast Asia, and the Persian Gulf. And like I mentioned before, he was a favorite explorer of the Chinese emperor, and he had many and he'd served in many high-ranking positions because of how well-liked he was. And by the way, he would publicly, he was publicly Muslim as well. So it's not like he was hidden away the fact that he was Muslim. Most people there knew he was Muslim, 
but he still had a very high-ranking position, which is, again, you know, the point that I'm making where, you know, Chinese Muslims were actually a very influential impact on Chinese history. Uh, and also, on a side point, he, uh, from what I've read at least, he has a very impactful uh, legacy within Southeast Asia as well. It's, I, I don't know if this is 100% true, but it's believed that he, uh, because of his many voyages to Southeast Asia, he also brought Islam, or he brought sort of some Islamic teachings to Southeast Asia, which is also, uh, you know, an impact he, he had on those people as well, uh, amongst the others in terms of the fact that Southeast Asians themselves likely became Muslim through trade with the Middle East as well. But again, Zheng He was a, a well-known figure within Southeast Asia as well, at least from, from what I've read. Uh, I don't know if that's 100% true. Uh, I guess someone from Southeast Asia uh, could confirm that. But again, yes, he, he was a very well-known and, and a very well-liked uh, figure uh, within uh, the Ming Dynasty. And there were many other influential individuals as well, uh, but I don't want to go through every single one of them because, uh, you know, I mean, it, it would take way too much time to, to go into depth about them. But uh, amongst many of the administrators and some of the generals within the army, many of them were Muslim. And, uh, you know, kind of the main, I guess, uh, thing that I, I hope to at least extract from this was that many of these people were publicly Muslim, right? They didn't hide the fact that they were Muslim. And the Chinese emperors knew that they were Muslim and, and they didn't care, right? Like that's something where, again, when you compare that to what China is now, uh, that's not something that you would see. The Chinese government, in terms of the uh, contemporary Chinese government, is clearly, in my opinion, and I don't think this is controversial, or at least it shouldn't be controversial, is clearly Islamophobic. They don't like Muslims. They really don't like Muslims. They clearly have an opposition uh, to some Muslim ideas. Uh, and that's not something you may have seen historically. Again, not all the time was it, you know, a, a good time for Chinese Muslims, but they did have moments where they actually were very, uh, you know, very interconnected within uh, the uh, larger Chinese community. And sort of to build off of this point, uh, you know, the emperors of the Ming dynasty also played an interesting role with Muslims. And, you know, many of the emperors actually were okay with and, and encouraged the building and repairing of mosques within, you know, Muslim areas. You know, and, and many of the mosques that actually still stand today uh, throughout China um, were built uh, in, you know, the uh, earlier dynasties and in uh, the Ming dynasty as well. And, you know, many of those mosques actually still stand today. And, you know, in many ways, they, they demonstrate this sort of unique blend of, I guess, Chinese Muslim uh, identity, where you can see the relation with sort of the Middle East and, you know, the roots of Islam within areas like Arabia. So they have, you know, like the, the large pillars like you see in many mosques uh, throughout the world. But they also have, you know, Chinese architecture where the design of the mosque is, is built like a Chinese temple, but it has Arabic, uh, you know, wording, but also, you know, traditional Chinese wording on it as well, because they're, they're, you know, their identity is so interconnected between both. And, and I encourage you to, to go and like Google it and, and kind of look up the pictures because they're very interesting mosques to look at. They're, they're very different. You know, they're not sort of the same old mosques that you kind of see. And, and of course, I, I don't mean same old to sort of say that, you know, the same old mosques look bad, that they obviously don't. You know, uh, the mosques, I, I always find mosque architecture looking uh, 
uh, is very interesting to, to look at. Um, but, you know, for the most part, their, their mocks are so unique because they do bring in, uh, you know, this uh, sort of interesting blend, I'd say, of kind of two worlds that are clashing, which, which really is, you know, the Chinese Muslim identity. It's basically two different worlds that are clashing and, and they produce Chinese Muslims out of it. And, you know, the earliest mosques were built likely before the Ming Dynasty, probably in what was called the uh, Tang Dynasty, which happened in the 7th and 8th centuries. Uh, and, and this is sort of an interesting thing that I found. Um, but, you know, sort of the, uh, I guess, Chinese Muslim history of their own, uh, you know, sort of their own mythology, you could say, you know, how they trace their own origin. Um, they actually uh, sort of trace their origin, and, and this isn't confirmed, and, and many historians would actually say that this isn't true, but many early Chinese manuscripts by Chinese Muslims uh, actually uh, claim heritage back to the Prophet Wasallam's uncle Abu Waqqas, uh, and they claim that the first mosque in China was built in the 630s, right? So this is way back when, you know, Islam was just spreading. Um, and so the, the manuscripts originate about 600 years later in 1206. So the, the Chinese manuscripts that detail this sort of alleged connection to the Prophet ﷺ through his uncle uh, were written about 600 years after the alleged event of the mosques being built in China in the 630s. Uh, the reason this is unlikely, I should say, is because this would have been really, really early in Islam's uh, you know, spread, right? Like in the 630s, which is the claim as to when the first mosques were built in China, would mean that the early Muslims reached all the way to basically central China, which we know isn't true because that didn't happen. Um, and of course, the claim is that the territory didn't expand, but rather, you know, individuals moved there and they built it themselves, which could be possible in a sense because Obviously, it could be possible for anyone to sort of migrate to a certain area, but it's still unlikely because of the fact that it would have been a pretty big move for someone to go from the Middle East all the way to China. And then on the other hand, the reason why it's also unlikely is because of the fact that it would have meant that China or Chinese Muslims, at least, started to originate before Islam even reached places like India or Africa or even Southeast Asia, right? So it's it's somewhat unlikely. Obviously, there's always the possibility that you know some of the uh, you know the prophets um, you know uh, the prophets ancestors or I should say the prophets descendants, not ancestors, the prophets descendants, and you know some of the companions maybe went and built mosques. But again, it's highly highly unlikely. But again, it's, it's part of sort of the mythology that goes behind how they kind of root their origin, right? Like it's sort of the origin story as to where they, you know, link back to the Prophet ﷺ. And I don't know if Chinese Muslims actually take it like word for word to be true. Like I don't know if Chinese Muslims think of it as being 100% true. Uh, they might not. They may. They may not. I, I don't know. Uh, I unfortunately don't know any Chinese Muslims, so I couldn't ask anyone. Um, but it's likely that there's a, you know, a possibility that they sort of use this as, as a way to define, you know, their connection back, of course, to the roots of Islam. And that's not something uncommon, by the way, actually. You would find that there's a lot of Muslim groups that would link themselves back 
to the Prophet ﷺ, which, of course, I mean, that makes sense, right? Like, if, if you're a group that is maybe, you know, far away from the Prophet ﷺ or from the Middle East, you would like to link back to, of course, where Islam all began. Now, on the, the topic of mosques as well, it, it's in, in somewhat unfortunate news uh, that in recent years, the Chinese government has actually attempted to restructure and change, or what really they're doing is destroying the mosques uh, that were built in China due to their quote-unquote un-Chinese look and make them more mainstream Chinese, which is essentially Han Chinese. The Han are the dominant ethnic group within China, and so what they're trying to do is they're trying to eliminate things that they view are not Chinese within these mosques and make them look more Chinese, which I think is a shame because many of the mosques are very beautiful and very nice to look at because of, again, the blend in culture. But, right, like, this is what the Chinese government does. They are, uh, in many ways, not just Islamophobic, they're discriminatory, it's what they do. They don't care because they just have sort of this, you know, this view that China is superior to everyone else, and so everything has to be, you know, Chinese. Uh, and, and of course, it, it is uh, unfortunate. And, you know, beyond this, right, as we all know, uh, in the area of Xinjiang, where the Uyghurs live, uh, the Chinese government has, of course, not just been restructuring the mosques, they've been destroying them as well. And so, unfortunately, many uh, very, you know, beautiful mosques within uh, the, the, the Uyghurs, uh, the Uyghurs built, I should say, sorry, uh, have been unfortunately destroyed or repurposed, which is uh, quite unfortunate because, uh, again, uh, you know, many of them uh, were very, uh, you know, very interesting parts of architecture uh, that uh, were destroyed by the Chinese government. Now, I think what's interesting to, to compare uh, the current Chinese government and the previous Chinese dynasties uh, and like I mentioned before, is that the previous dynasties didn't actually perceive Muslims as in, in that negative of light, right? Like they didn't. They didn't view them in, in that negative of a light. And, you know, what's interesting was that I was doing my, you know, research on Chinese Muslims, and I, I came across this very interesting hundred-word eulogy. And, and if you don't know what a eulogy is, it's basically something you would write or you would, you know, kind of say, um, I, I believe it's said after someone's passed away, you sort of say it in remembrance of someone. Um, I apologize if I'm incorrect about that, but I believe that's when a eulogy is written. It's sort of written in remembrance of someone. And why I think this is so interesting is because there's a very famous uh, eulogy called the 100-word eulogy that was written by the 11th emperor of the Ming dynasty, who's referred to as and I'm probably going to mispronounce this, but he's referred to as the Hongwu Emperor, and he wrote it about, of all topics, and this may surprise some very hardline Chinese people, but he wrote, he wrote about the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ. Yes, you heard that right. A former Chinese emperor from the midst of, you know, the main Chinese dynasties, uh, and a dynasty where... Uh, the, uh, you know, obviously modern China would revere very highly uh, the Ming dynasty, the 11th emperor of the Ming dynasty, referred to as the Hongwu emperor, wrote about the Prophet Muhammad and wrote a eulogy 
to honor him. And and I'm I'm now going to uh, of course read the eulogy because I think it's a very important and interesting thing to read. And I will say that it was of course written in I believe would have been written in Mandarin and it's been translated to English, so it isn't the exact uh, you know words that are being used, but it's as close of a translation to what was said in the eulogy. And so the eulogy goes like this. The universe began with the heavenly tablet recording his name, the religion-delivering great sage born in the western realm, conferring and receiving heavenly scripture in 30 parts, universally transforming all created beings, master of the trillion rulers, leader of the 10,000 sages, assisted by destiny, protector of the community, in each of the five prayers, he silently supplicates for their total well-being. His intention is that Allah should remember the needy, deliver them from tribulations to safety, knower of the unseen, exalted above every soul and spirit, free from any blameworthy deeds, a mercy to all the worlds whose path is preeminent for all time, renouncing spiritual ignorance, returning to the One, that is the religion called Islam. Muhammad is the most noble sage. End. So that was the hundred-word eulogy written by the 11th emperor of the Ming dynasty, which, in my opinion, were very strong and surprising words in a way uh, if you really hear about, uh, I guess, what the Chinese government is doing now comparing, compared to what some of the Chinese dynasties did before, right? And 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 again, this is sort of a rumor. This is a rumor. This isn't necessarily true, but there were some rumors actually that some believe that the Hongwu Emperor himself was actually a Muslim, which might also explain why, uh, you know, he was so, uh, you know, he wrote this eulogy, right? Because he may have been a Muslim himself, although they don't really know if they can confirm that from what I've read at least. But if he was a Muslim, it makes sense why he wrote this. But even then, even if he wasn't a Muslim, it proves that he was very open-minded to Muslims' beliefs. He was very knowledgeable about Muslims' beliefs because if, if you go back and sort of listen to what I said, uh, he actually mentions many things that you wouldn't know unless you actually, you know, researched Islam, right? Like he mentions stuff about, you know, the heavenly scripture in 30 parts. He, he talks about you know the uh, you know the fact that Allah is the knower of the unseen. That's a common phrase from the Quran, right? That's a common phrase from the Quran and from Islam, right? That Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is the knower of the unseen, right? It talks about how uh, you know uh, it refers back to the One, right? To Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, and that that is the religion called Islam. And if you ask many people, how do you explain Islam? You'd say, well, it's the you know it's it's about the One. It's about Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. Right, it's it's sort of interesting, right? And he also mentions, and I don't and I don't want to forget this, is that he also mentions the five prayers, right? Which again means he had to have known that they did five prayers, right? He had to have seen them doing five prayers. He had to have been in the company of Muslims who did the five prayers, and I think that that's just so interesting to sort of uh, you know read about, right? Like he knew all this stuff because he clearly was uh, in company with Chinese Muslims. And, you know, it's, it's again, so amazing to look at how, uh, you know, historical Chinese Muslims, or sorry, historical Chinese emperors and dynasties 
looked at Muslims compared to what we see the Chinese government today. You know, I, I almost am tempted to say that, you know, some person, you know, a reporter, uh, another, you know, an influential person, I don't know, someone should take this eulogy and give it to them and ask them, so uh, w- what do you think of this, right? Like Chinese government and, and the Chinese people will often, you know, refer back to the, the Chinese dynasties that came before and they'll refer to, you know, the great honor and everything that these dynasties, you know, brought about to the Chinese people and they very much like to emulate them. So I would very much like someone to take this eulogy and show it to people within the Chinese government. And I'd like to see what they say, right? I'd like to see what they say uh, when reading it and whether or not, you know, it's right for them to be treating Chinese Muslims the way that they do. Really just sort of maybe taking a step back again and really thinking about what we've talked about throughout this episode, I I think that the main point that that I hope that uh, we can sort of understand is that what we consider to be Chinese Muslims is is a very complicated identity. There are the Chinese Muslims who are ethnically Chinese, but then there's also the Muslims who are in China. Uh, and these Muslims obviously have a, uh, a very uh, complicated history within China and a very vast one as well. And I think that it, it's really important for us to really learn more about uh, you know, what the history of this diaspora is uh, within China, because again, they are one that has definitely been uh, attacked a lot uh, in the past few years, and definitely one that has been the focus uh, in many negative ways, unfortunately, by the Chinese government. And I think really it's important for us as Muslims to really understand who they are. I I think oftentimes people will talk about, you know, Chinese Muslims being attacked, or, you know, Chinese Muslims being oppressed, or, you know, the Uyghurs being oppressed, but I, I'd like to ask you, like, did you ever try to learn about who they are? You know, what's their background? You know, where do they come from? You know, what's their history within China? Because like I said, you know, things like the hundred word eulogy is such an interesting part of history. And it's something that I think is very important for us to learn about, especially as Muslims, to learn about where Muslims go around the world and sort of what Muslims are really, not, not just the Muslims in the Middle East. Everyone knows the history within the Middle East. I think it's important for us to learn the history that goes beyond that. And I think that's one thing that I've definitely learned from learning about Chinese Muslim and Muslims in China history. It's been very, I think, interesting reading about just how impactful they really have been to the larger Chinese community. And I hope that you found it interesting as well. And, you know, I'd ask you is what's interesting to you? you know, uh, go research it, go learn it, because there really is so much to learn about. And also go look at some pictures of Chinese mosques as well. They're very interesting to look at, and they have very uh, unique designs and sort of a -a one-in-a-kind kind of look at a mosque as well, because it's definitely not the kind of mosques that you would see here today. Now, this is a good place that I feel to end today's episode on Islam in China, and more specifically about Chinese Muslims as well as Muslims that are in China. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode Uh, and if you did please do remember to leave a five-star review uh, at the bottom of whatever podcast uh, podcast host I should say that you're listening to this from. Uh, Good reviews and five-star reviews allow me to continue to make episodes so please do remember to leave a review uh, from wherever you are listening to this from. 
Uh, either than that, if you guys could also go check me out on Instagram, it's Muslims in Your Backyard. I post general stuff on my Instagram page, as well as, as well as, this is new, but I also made a Twitter page. It's called, uh, it's called at MIB Podcast. So that's at M-Y-B Podcast. So that's just the acronym of Muslims in Your Backyard, and then just podcast. Uh, my Twitter page is sort of new, so I'm sort of just getting used to it. But the reason I created it was just to have another way to sort of uh, you know interact with people as well as having another way to uh, be able to post about uh, things that are just going on uh, as well as uh, spread uh, you know the podcast uh, through social media. So please do go remember to check out my Instagram page and my Twitter page. As always, I appreciate the support. So I'd really uh, you know be very appreciative if you guys did go check them out. Uh, but Either than that, I hope you guys did enjoy today's episode. I hope it was informative uh, in understanding and get a, getting a better, uh, I guess, uh, comprehension uh, of the, the differences uh, that I think exist within China in relation to its Muslim population, as well as sort of expanding our own knowledge about what it means when we say Chinese Muslims or Muslims in China. Other than that, guys, thank you guys again so much for listening. Inshallah and Alafis, we'll meet again.